Would you bow your heads with me again this morning, please? Father God, we do come to this time, Lord, where we approach your throne again. Father, we are humbled at your feet. Father, as we are ready to open your word, Father, to seek after you. And Father, I must lift up those, Father, that are struggling today. Father, I just lift up to you Butch and her family. Father, what's going on, Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you've already bestowed on them through a quick surgery, a surgery that went well. Father, we now pray that you help her brain to heal, and that, Father, your hand would be mightily at work in her life, and that she will have a testimony of who you are. And, Father, for Annette, Lord, with her knee, that you would show favor with her getting an appointment, Lord, this week, that they can go in and see exactly uh, what needs to be done. Father, we pray that you would help with the reducing of swelling at this time, Father. And, Father, I just pray for each of your children this morning. That, Father, as we gather together as a body of believers, Father, your word is alive. It's active. Father, would you speak to me and through me today? Father, would you speak to each one of your children that are listening? Father, would you fill us with an anointing of Holy Spirit to hear that still, small voice this morning. Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen. This morning, I want us to take some time looking at living with hope through persecution. If you have your Bibles, if you will open them to the book of First Peter. Thank you. First Peter chapter 3 this morning, as we look at this hope. You know, Peter was writing uh, this passage, this scripture, this book we call First Peter. He was writing to Christians who were dispersed all across Asia Minor and wanting to encourage them and wanting to equip them for persecution. This was written in the probably latter part of the first century, and he knew, and God knew what was coming ahead, and he wanted to encourage them. He wanted them to be ready for the persecution as it would be picking up. Just about 100 years or 200 years after this was written, there was a ruler who wrote back to the main king, and he told him that he was in the process of killing people who acknowledged Christ, and it was reported back that he was favorable of that action. That is persecution to an extent that we here don't quite fully understand, but I promise you that there is persecution today even for the believer living in America, and we can read God's word, and as Christians, we can be encouraged and we can be equipped for persecution. Would you agree that if we're going to go through something, we prepare for that? 
Uh, Many of you have been married. You prepared for your wedding. Many of you have a home. You prepared that home to live in it. When you're getting ready to take a trip, you prepare for that trip. If it's something we're going to go through, then I believe we ought to prepare for it. And I believe for us, knowing that if you are a believer in Christ, that there is going to be persecution in your life. I pray and hope that none of us in here today experience the persecution like they did then or will be one day. I don't believe or hope that any of us will have to lose our life for it. But I promise you and I guarantee you every single one of us has persecution. We are persecuted for our belief by the way we are treated. And I want for you today when you leave to know how to live as confident Christians through persecution. How can we have a hope while we're being persecuted? That's what I want us to learn today. If you've turned there to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would please stand as we begin reading in verse 13. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear the intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Father God, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. And Father God, just pray everything in that precious, most holy, powerful, and sanctified name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned, this was addressed to the uh, five Roman provinces in Asia. Just to give you a little history, that's going to be Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Christians had been dispersed out of Jerusalem and other places because of persecution, and they're now dispersed all over this area. And because of that persecution, he is sending them in that direction. He is trying to get the word out there to them. And what I want us to look at is to understanding the truth. He was writing this so that they could have hope, so that they could have encouragement and that they could understand what this persecution was. But he also wanted them to understand, and I want to tell you this, and we're going to look at it in the end. Christians, we need to be persecuted for doing right, not being a lawbreaker. You break the law, things happen. But he's wanting to write to the Christian to encourage them. And the first thing we have to do comes in verse 13. And it says, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? We have to understand the truth. 
If we're going to have hope through persecution, then we need to know what the truth really is. What is the truth? How can we have this hope? I want you to glance just a little bit at the verse right above that, verse 12. And it says, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then 13 says, And who is there to harm you? It's referring back to, therefore, back to that verse. But he says, Who is there to harm you? We can read this and we understand and and we begin to think, okay, so as a believer, no one can hurt me. No one can harm me. Have any of you ever been harmed by someone else? Most everyone in here. What is he talking about when he says, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? If you're doing what's right, this harm is a future tense word. When judgment day comes, who is there that can harm you? When Christ says you are his and you're living a life fulfilling what Christ has called you to do in the day that you die and you go to judgment, who is there that can harm you because you're in the hands of the almighty God? You're in his protection. God's truth says that as a believer, you are made justified. You're made right with God. And there's nothing that can change that. We have to understand it doesn't matter what people say about us. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to say that it doesn't hurt when people talk about you. That's why God says don't gossip. It's not your story to tell. But when people talk about us, We're human. We have feelings. It can affect us. And when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing for God, when we are zealous out there, we're earnestly committed to God and we're doing what he says and we're following his words and people are talking and slandering us, that hurts. But God says, the truth of the matter is, I'm the one who has the final say-so. And as a believer, you know the truth and you have the hope that you will be justified in me. It looks like uh, Romans 8.31 talks about that if God is for us, then who is against us? Wonderful verse. If you don't have that marked, write that one down. Go back and mark it. In your life, think about this. The ultimate creator, the holy God Father, if he is for you, then who? is against you. If he says you're right, who's bigger than God? Who's bigger than God? Nobody. And if God is for you, then there's no one that can beat him up. There's no bully out there that might think they can do something. But the truth of the matter is, and that's where we've got to stand with our hope, that Jesus Christ came He was born of a virgin, what we're celebrating this season. He became God in flesh. He lived a perfect and a holy life. He never sinned. He obeyed the Father all the way to the cross because someone had to pay a price for sin that entered this world. Jesus is often called the second Adam. The first Adam came and centered in. 
Jesus came, the second Adam, and he did away with the penalty of sin for those who would turn their life over to him and to believe in him. That's the truth, that as believers, God's force and can't no one be against us. So why it does hurt here, it does hurt here when people talk about us. The truth of the matter is, There's not a darn thing they can do. And when my judgment comes, it's not their decision what happens to me. It's a holy God, and he has already told me as a believer that I'm justified with him. It says there to be zealous for the good. It says, but even if you should suffer, the suffer is used in what's called an optative mood, not because it's unlikely that you're going to suffer, but because as a Christian, at any moment, persecution and suffering can open up. You know, we have to understand that he's talking about that there's no one that can harm us being future tense to our final eternity, because if you read the first part of verse 14, and even if it, you should suffer, well, you're going to then say, now, wait a minute. Scripture just contradicted itself. No, the harm is future tense. There's nothing that anyone can do to us. Now, I've probably said this before, and I want to say it lightly and hear me all the way through. The worst thing that anyone could do to us in our minds would be to kill us. And as horrible as that may be, What a homegoing and a great thing it is for the believer because we're leaving this wretched world and going to be with our Savior. Now, I'm not saying I want that to happen. But the truth of the matter is that we are within Christ as believers. But he also wants us to understand the truth there. He says that if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. I'm blessed when people talk about me, when a job overlooks me for a promotion because I profess to be a Christian, when I lose my job because I'm standing on godly principles that don't align with that and I voice my opinion, when I go through persecution and I lose a friend because they no longer want to be around a Bible thumper They no longer want to be around someone you know. When Christians go places, light goes with them. And when light shows up, darkness is dispersed and truth is proclaimed. What is this blessedness? I want to give you a better picture of that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Jesus was speaking and he said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven there's that word blessed again it implies an inner satisfaction i don't know about you but i want an inner satisfaction the sufficiency that did not depend on outward circumstances my happiness me being blessed through persecution is an inward blessedness that comes from christ has nothing to do with what's going on on the outside it's not happy you know happy can come and go 
but blessedness comes from the Father. And this is what the Lord offers to those who trust in him. He comes to live within us. He brings us a confidence. He brings us a peace. We get blessedness. We can use the the word happy somewhat there, but understanding that it is because of an inward thing, not what is outward. So we've got to understand the truth that no one can harm us and that we are blessed for being zealous, being on board, moving forward, fighting for what God says. But here it is, the second thing I want us to look at. I want us to look at five steps to handling persecution. I gave you a little bit more space in the outline for this so that you can write these down or you can mark them in your Bible because guess what? I want you to be successful. I want you to be hopeful I want you to be confident in making it through persecution. So I'm going to give you some good advice. You know how I know it's good advice? Because it's coming from God's word. Let's take a look at what God's word, what Peter wrote to those that were getting ready to go through persecution. Look there at verse, the second part of verse 14. It says, and do not fear their intimidation And do not be troubled. The first one is do not fear their fear. What does the bully have on people but he wants to try to intimidate? He wants to try to look the biggest and the baddest. And do you know most of the time a bully is a bully because of his own insecurities? Because of things going on in his own home life, he wants to be a bully so that it doesn't show through. Do you know non-Christians want to persecute Christians that are around them because they're fearful for what we bring with us? We bring light. We bring good news. Our spirit does not, what would be the term? Our spirit don't jihaw with their spirit. Uh, we'll, We'll bring it to Stanley here just a little bit with that. They don't get along. They're opposite. It's light and dark. It's good and evil. And when we come, we do that. He says, don't be fearful. Don't be uh, apprehensive. I want each of you to take just a moment and think about the first job you ever had. Do you remember getting ready to go to that job? Or maybe for some of you, do you remember getting ready to retire and not have a steady job? Maybe not a steady income? Did that kind of make you a little nervous? It would be intimidating taking a new job. I remember a young man one time. God had called him into the ministry. He had been working with a a group of people when a church called him. And they said, we would like for you to come and preach for us. This young man went to the church to preach for the first time. And he preached again. And then after several times, the church asked him, would he come and be their pastor? There was an intimidation with this young man because when he stood behind the pulpit and he looked out into the audience, 
there he saw sitting the wife, the previous pastor. He saw a son who was a deacon. There was a little nervousness and intimidation. I can tell you that for a fact because that young man was me. The first time I walk in there to preach, I've heard wonderful things about Brother Guy Murphy. Little did I know I would be preaching with his wife sitting right there watching his son. And to come to know the godly people that are here. You know, every time I walk up here, there is a little intimidation because I have a big responsibility with how I handle this right here. Because if I do it wrong, I'm held accountable. But he's saying in this persecution, that's that fear. He says, don't let the fear get you. Don't let people's persecution make you want to back away. Let's look at Isaiah 8 as he wrote a good description. Isaiah 8, verse 12. You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. We're not to fear man. We are to fear a reverence to God. The second thing he says is don't be troubled. That goes kind of back to those uh, butterflies in your stomach we were talking about a while ago to, to cause an inward turmoil. You know, what he's talking about here is a persecution in their day in the marketplace. You know, as you go along in society, you know, we get in our cars, we drive where we want, we get out and we go in a mall and we shop and we come out. For them, they would walk or they would go and the marketplace was all open. And as the Christians would walk through, people would begin to talk about them. Hey, look, there's a Christian. You know, we love that word, Christian. I've told you, most of the times it's used in the Bible, only the word only about three times, they are negative. Look at that Christ follower. He's following that lunatic. No, Jesus was considered a heretic, a lunatic. He claimed to be the son of God, and, and those people want to follow after him. We have our rules. They don't want to follow our rules. Look at them. Maybe, you know, don't sell them anything. You can't buy anything from me. See how they would be persecuted. You need work. All of them are gone. The group left there are the Christians. No one would hire them. They would be troubled. He says, if you want to have hope, don't fear man and don't let man trouble you. What does he say there next in verse 15? He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. There's number three. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. This is very important. Church, I want you to, to hear this. This sanctify is a, a command. Now, all of these that we're seeing can be taken as commands. But when you look at how the word is written in Greek, there are certain endings that get added to words that tell you what they are. And this sanctify is one that is a compare. It is a command flat out to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. You are to 
set apart. You are to treat as holy Christ in your heart. The inner being, the who you are, where your will and your action comes from, where your inner life is, where your thinking is, where your volition, your decisions to do things come from. Christ needs to be sanctified as Christ needs to be sanctified as Lord in your heart. We can get through persecution if we have Christ in the right place, and that's his Lord. Number one, set apart. That's the reason we change who we are when we go to Christ. He changes us. He becomes Lord to us. So when we're persecuted, we're able to to move through this, but we've got to make him Lord because if we don't make him number one and let him rule everything we do, how easy it will be to be intimidated. If we don't think that Christ is our Lord. And then fourth, be ready to give a defense. It says, verse 15, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Be ready to give a defense. This word is where we get our word. How many of you ever heard of apologetics? There is a line of theology called apologetics theology and classes that teach you to defend your faith. But when Christ is sanctified in our life, what is on the inside is going to come out. People are going to be able to tell there is a difference about you. You have a hope that the rest of the world doesn't have. And when that happens, people are going to ask, and we need to be ready to tell them why. We need to to give a a testimony, we might say. We need to, to give an answer for our hope. What is our hope? What is your hope as a believer? How can you go about life living different than everyone else? Our hope is God. And his promise to us as believers of all eternity with him. The moment we become a Christian, we're going to live the rest of our life with Christ. The moment we die on this earth, we close our eyes. Our spirit is immediately with God in heaven. What a hope. And that hope comes because of that eternity that they can't harm me. Be true, but it doesn't matter what you say about me. It's what my God says about me, and that's my hope. And my God says that as a believer, I'm secure with him. As a believer, I can hope in him. One of the commentaries I was reading had uh, read about a study of the social groups in the New Testament time. And they were all on mostly revolving around community. You know, in our modern world today, what's the number one in today's society? What's the number one thing? Me? You? Our world drives a me-centered world, an individual world. Well, back in the New Testament, it was about community. And, you know, we have hope because we have a community of believers who come together. 
But we also understand that there is an individual side to that, that each one of us must individually make our own decision to follow Christ. And then we have the hope that he provides. And that hope will come out as a difference. How is part of it different? Because we're going to sanctify the Lord in our lives. What does he tell us there? But to do this testimony, this defense with gentleness and reverence. Look, the quality of not being over-impressed with self. You know, there are some people who want to defend the Bible and it becomes a very heated debate. They get real ugly. They become very pious. They become very arrogant. I'm a believer and that's all that there is to it. You're showing a side of you that if the Lord has been sanctified in your heart, he is the one that your hope rests in. And he says to to speak with gentleness, don't do it as how much better you are than they. Because I promise you, if I'm on the other end of the story, I don't want to hear what you have to say. But if you come with gentleness and you can share out of a love in your heart because God is there, what this hope is, what God has done for you, there's a difference. He says, do it with reverence. Don't fear them. Fear God. Not probably talking about a legal defense here, which it could be at times, but a personal one-on-one in the marketplace or maybe the workplace or out in the woods hunting and you come across someone you know, different places that we encounter people. Going to eat, I love to eat. My attitude should show who is Lord of my life and I very possibly and have been asked why I act the way I do. I probably shared y'all this story and I'll just make it quick and brief here that there was a time that I was sitting at a table with a group of my classmates and we were discussing some things and this lady come by and she did not like our viewpoint and she pretty much with a few choice words I won't use standing here told us what she thought of us. Inside, my first thought in the flesh was, I'm going to just give her a good what for. But you know, as soon as that happened, Holy Spirit convicted me. Another guy at the table, he wanted to just run outside and let her have it too. But I said, guys, I said, we need to pray for her. I said, because we do not know what she's going through. And as soon as we did that, this lady sitting over the side said, excuse me, gentlemen. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, are y'all Christians? I said, we are. She said, would you please come over here and pray for me? And she began to share things. She could tell a difference because I had sanctified the Lord in my heart with reverence. And then he says, to keep a good conscience so that in the things which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. They're speaking ill and evil of people, defaming them. They want to malign their conduct. Oftentimes, have you ever noticed this? When they want to come after you, they lie about you. 
They want to take the just enough of the truth and they want to twist it and they want to lie. That's what's going on here. This persecution. And but what he's saying here is that you need to give your defense with a good conscience. You need to live a life knowing that you are right with God and knowing that at any moment you could be called to defend what that is. And your behavior needs to be in a way that is the principal way of your life. And then the third thing I want us to look at just very quickly is God is in control. It's the third on your outline. I gave you the five. I'll go over those real quick in a minute. But God is in control, verse 17. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. It's better. It's an an advantage to you to do what is right. But I love there where it says, if God should will it so. Do you know that as a believer... Y'all listen very closely. As a believer, nothing happens to you without first going through the hands of God. Now, preacher, you don't understand what I've been through. How in the world could God allow me to go through that? Now, Susan, how could God allow you to go through losing JB and then losing a daughter and now having another daughter that just had to have a brain tumor. How can God, if you say that, look what happened to Job. Satan had to go before God, before God would allow him to go to Job. He controlled what happened. God's ways are not our ways. I will never be able to explain to many of you why things happen. But I know that as a believer, we are wrapped in the loving arms of God and he will carry us through those things and that he's not going to allow us to go anything through that he's not big enough to carry us through. And when we look back after time of going through difficulty, we can begin to see where the hand of God was in it all. How God was watching over what God got the glory out of it. Miss Susan, I use you as an example again. I apologize. Nicole and I were just talking the other day, and it crossed my mind. Why did God let JB die when he did? I can't answer that, but I can only imagine he would not have been able to handle losing his daughter. Is that why? I don't know. But you know, God doesn't come and take anyone till he's ready for them. Satan can't take anyone out of the world. God does that. God allows us to go through the difficulties. He strengthens us through those. And as a community of believers, we can come along others and help them through the same thing. I love to see our church family as we rally around people that are going through things and some that have already been there can step up and to help with that. But sometimes God will allow us to suffer or experience something and be treated in an unfavorable way. But Peter said, be that if that happens, if you are persecuted, make sure it's for doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. 
And what a difference that is because God will protect and God will see us through. Your life should be lived in such a way that others can tell that you are a believer and what's on the inside should so be bright, excuse my English there, that the light shines out. People can tell a difference. I just want to give you those five steps real quick in case you missed one of them. Do not fear their fear. Do not be troubled. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Be ready to give a defense and keep a good conscience. If you do those five things and you can do those because you know the truth, and you can do those because you know that God is in control. And when that happens, you can live with hope through the persecution. You can live confident through persecution. It's going to happen, church. But we have a hope in Christ Jesus to get us through that hope. May you bow your heads. Father God, I just thank you for your love. Father, Father, I thank you that you are truth. Father, I thank you that your word is truth. Uh, Father, that you have given us your son in the flesh. We had that truth. You've given us your word. We have that truth. And Father, understanding that truth that we are your children, we are the sheep and no one can get to us. And then, Father, regardless of what the world says, our eternity as a believer in you is secure. Father, we can live a life of hope. Father, because of who you are and not because of who we are. And, Father, I pray this morning that each and every one here, Lord, has sanctified Jesus as Lord in their life. Father, in their heart. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here, Father, for whatever reason, has never surrendered total control of their life to you, that Father, today would be the day. Father, as we begin anticipating and preparing to celebrate the birth of your son, which reminds us of the hope and guarantee of your return, Father, we need to be right with you. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today, Lord, that knows you without a shadow of a doubt as believer, but Father, they're not letting you take total rule, that Father, they would repent of that and turn to you. But Father, I want us to be able to take what you have spoken today. And Father, may we walk out of here with our heads held high. Father, may we walk out of here with hope today, with encouragement. Lord, that you love us, and the truth is we are yours, and no one can do anything about that. Father, how excited I am to be your child. Father, will you bring the hope, the joy, the love, and the peace to us this very hour. Father, I just pray everything in the precious most holy name of your son, Jesus.
Amen.